time. It's something we can't escape. Some live by the clock, aware of its every tick, almost allowing it to dictate every move made. Then there are those that have no regard for it. They make their own way and let no hour or minute or schedule tie them down. This week, time is going to be, in one form or another, a huge part of the story. The past few weeks, I've shared with you my journey. We've heard from so many people close to Allison. We've explored the grief that has taken its toll on all of their lives and their infinite will to continue to fight for justice and answers. We've also been introduced to the two men with whom she spent her time. Two men that may have been known by her as her best friends and lovers, but by many, they may be called killers. There is, however, one more person, one more scenario of what could have happened to Allison that I've yet to mention. It's not widely been spoken about. And if you're local, you may understand why. I'm your host, Allison Whitten, and you're listening to Mistaken for Missing. Episode 7, Timeshares, Time Cards, and Treachery. There are a few places that one goes to get information when making a podcast. There is, of course, firsthand information that comes in the form of friends and family, people who were actually there with Allison living day to day. And of course, there's the internet, Facebook, Instagram, and hell, just a regular Google search can provide a wealth of knowledge. One of the very first sources I visited while researching what may have happened to Allison was the Bay County Clerk of Court website. This is free access to court cases, official records, and it's also where you can make payments and find out about any court divisions, basically anything legal you want to know in Bay County. A search of Allison's name provided me with information that caught my eye almost immediately because of how close the court date was to the time of her disappearance. On April the 5th, there was a hearing in Bay County for a stalking violence injunction. Basically, this is an order to protect the victim, or petitioner, from the stalker, or the respondent. It can mean anything from cyber-stalking or online threats to actual threats of violence in person. Again, this definitely came as a surprise because I had not read it anywhere, it was not in any of the media coverage, but the petition was denied which meant that Allison was denied any sort of protection from the court or the law. To me, this was huge. Considering that she disappeared just a few days after this was massive to me. It's certainly a big mark on the timeline. The more I dug and the deeper I got, I started to see why this event may have been left out of public view. The last few weeks, I've wrestled with even talking about this. The people involved are nothing short of just plain scary, the risk of sounding cheesy. If anything happens to me, you'll know where to look. I will not be using anyone's real name in this episode, even though they are a matter of public record. You want to know? It certainly wouldn't be hard to find. If you've ever been to, lived, or vacationed in Panama City Beach, you've probably seen or at least heard about the summit. Located at 8743 Thomas Drive, the condominiums have been a Panama City Beach landmark since its debut in 1984. Boasting around 450 units 
and standing 15 stories high, it's nestled in with two other PCB icons, Spinnaker and the world-famous Club La Vila. It is also where, for a time, Allison was working as a bookkeeper for the Homeowners Association at the summit. According to an anonymous source, Allison loved working there. She was proud of her job and enjoyed learning about HOA bookkeeping, something she'd never done before. She was told about the job by her friend that also worked there in the timeshare department. For the podcast, we will be calling her Laura. Remember, no real names. Laura was the reason Allison got the job, and also the reason she may have lost the job. After weeks of digging, I got an email. My source wanted to remain anonymous, but they said they would send two emails. I was told they would explain what happened. They were from Allison. I will summarize them the best that I can for you. Email number one. This, again, was from Allison, sent to the Human Resources Committee, the Grievance Committee, and all the board members of the Summit HOA. It is dated January 7, 2016, and it was sent at 8.23 p.m. On Wednesday morning, January the 6th, 2016, Allison went into Laura's office at the summit to do payroll. She was greeted by Laura, who violently shoved her paycheck into Allison's face. She was very excited and upset, claiming that her paycheck was wrong. Allison asked her calmly to please get it out of her face. She felt threatened by her actions and left the office looking for security to assist her. All of this took place on camera. When Allison had asked her to stop shoving things into her face, Laura said, quote, I haven't shoved anything in your face, but I'm about to, end quote. After the incident, Allison left and went to the SOA office to finish processing payroll. She was hoping that the general manager and the security guard would address the situation. It was then that Allison emailed my source to say what had just happened and say she didn't feel safe. She couldn't just calm down and focus on her job. Allison and Laura had issues in the past, issues that she didn't want to speak to the GM about. I will be referring to him as Don. Don you may even have seen on the local news. He too is somewhat of a local celebrity. After some time passed, Allison knew she had to talk to him to make him aware of the situation. She hadn't mentioned telling anyone about the incident except the parties involved. It was then she was told that, quote, she would be the one with the problem if she alerted anyone about the current or previous issues with Laura. Laura wasn't going anywhere. And if she thought so, she was wrong. He said, quote, that he would quit before Laura was fired, end quote. Allison told Don she didn't want Laura fired. But by that point, it was all way out of control. This is when Allison was sent an email with the hours of the SOA on it. And according to the records, they tried to make it look as if Allison had been fudging the time cards, like she was fraudulating payroll, which explains why Laura's check was wrong. Allison, fearing she was being discriminated against and treated unfairly, asked for a copy of the incident report so she would have it to back her up. She never got one. When Allison went that afternoon to finish processing payroll, she saw Laura and Don talking privately. 
Allison concluded her email saying that if she was terminated for any of the events or for Don's toleration of Laura's behavior, she would seek legal representation. She then signed the email, thanked the parties that be, and that was that. Email number two. The next morning, January 8th, 2016, when Allison returned to work, she was terminated. She sent a letter, again, to all of the folks on the HR committee, the grievance committee, and the rest of the Summit HOA board. She thanked them and told them why she believed she had been fired. She had been hired back at her previous part-time job at Liberty Tax. She was grateful for the experience. She hoped she could use some of the people as a reference. But she again said she would be obtaining legal representation. She thanked them for their time and concluded the email. Now, remember earlier I said that someone in my inner circle just happened to also have dealt with the not-so-professional people at the summit? Here's an interview with one of my friends, who we will call Pam, and what she had to say about Panama City Beach and the condo's decline. Well, tell me a little bit about your background and how it relates to Panama City Beach, Panama City. Panama City Beach, um, I guess it was in 1996, I gave my husband, at that time boyfriend, alone to purchase a condo in Panama City Beach at the Moon Drifter. We would go down and visit. Back then in 1996, it was kind of sketchy as far as there were times that were definitely family times, spring break time. Um, You could tell that there were a lot of individuals that came down to Target spring breakers. We then purchased a condo at the Summit. They weren't run like a normal business. It was, I guess, a high guy, Tom something, over the rentals and renovations. You had to do this or it didn't happen. There were a lot of deaths and crazy a lot of incidents at There were a lot of summit. students yes. that disappeared between the summit, Club La Vila, Spinnakers, in that area that they would set up. For MTV. Oh, it was MTV. It was, you had everybody coming down. You had a lot of companies that would come in and put up tents and give away. Right. But Promotions it, type stuff. It would, it was drawing in. All of the college kids. Right. Even though the drinking age was 21, (laughs) there are a lot of alcoholic beverages available for them. Mm -hmm. And there were kids that, college kids that went missing. And to my knowledge, some of them have not been found. Right. And you were um, a resident at the time. I was a resident. Of a nearby county. I was a resident nearby county. Right. And so you I all had purchased three the pieces of property. Right. And that one block. Their sheriff there wasn't an advocate for safety, mm-hmm. which is why I think a lot of the gang members were able to come from up north right. down. There were also business women that would disappear. And today, I don't even know if their cases have been solved. And some of them, I mean, one of them I know was tied in with the summit. 
Would you say, from what you know over the years, Panama City Beach as a whole kind of went from like, you know, the Redneck Riviera and, you know, like the good old boys to being something way more dark and way more sinister? Um, I think as Panama City Beach started to become more popular, it became more sinister from the early 80s. Mm-hmm. To the mid-90s, I think it's, it took a turn for the worse. It started opening up individuals to come down to take advantage and make money off these college kids. 1998, there were times you did not want to be on the beach. Mm-hmm. You were not in Panama City Beach. It got really bad, I think, when Sheriff McKeithen came in, cleaned it up. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, the kids were going to Cancun, which made spring break better. Right. For some reason, Cancun shut that down, or a lot of the kids couldn't afford it. But MTV was still coming in. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2015. Um, this is before Tommy Ford came. Sheriff McKeithen was on his way out, but it became so overwhelming Right. With the amount of influx from the North, the drugs, the guns, the killings, um, rape, gang rapes on the beach. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard and, it. But, and then it started cleaning up. I mean, Sheriff McKeithen really got, they eliminated a lot of that. Unfortunately, there are still missing college students. There are right. still missing people. We don't know where they are. Tommy Ford came in and continued going on the straight and strict of cleaning up the beach. Absolutely no alcoholic beverages. Right. They ended their, I mean, yeah, they, they're they, stopping everybody before they come into Panama City Beach yep. looking for drugs and guns. I mean, they, they put a, they put a, nip a in it. Yeah. Well, I being a mother, mm-hmm. seeing on Facebook, gang rapes. Yeah. Multiple gang rapes. And there's not enough sheriffs to be able to protect the beach. Right. And these adults, Summit, Spinnakers. Had no Club problem Lavilla, renting to and, and caring to. No. So basically just it. perpetuating. They were allowing it. Right. Especially in front of Club La Vila. Gosh. When that girl got multiple, I mean, raped multiple times. That was. And then that was what? 2015? Spring break 2015. And there were shootings. Right. By people that weren't even from. Our area. No. And they weren't college kids. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm looking. I mean, I'm online right now, but I'm looking at all kinds of crazy shit. Now, Tom, would that be the name of the guy at the summit? The gentleman at the summit? Yes. Pop. He pretty much has been controlled everything. And is and was for renovation and... Yes, ma'am. You're but, exactly right. And he did he you, controlled too much. And the summit at that time 
Uh-huh. While he was there, it was, he was like the head honcho. It goes his way or no way. Right. Whether in the program or not. We also had owners would have to go and meet because all of a sudden all these funds were disappearing. And nobody ever, I'm sure the homeowners probably came together at some point and said, you know, what the hell's going on? And so, but people did notice something was amiss. Well, yeah. Especially when you have to do um, extra funds at the beginning to back to offset, which wasn't there for normal right um, taking care of the units. And so would and the property went down hill really fast. Bad. Would you say that? Well, what year did you all did you all sell your property at the summit, or do you still own it? No, we just sold it this past. July. Were you all just renting it out like through their property management or were you doing it individually? Um, I tried to use friend? their property management and it, was, it did not. They didn't take care of it. So, I mean, they would leave dirty sheets on the bed. Yeah. So, I went with the private. Like Picasso. <laughs> this just goes to show that Allison wasn't making any of this up. A simple search of the condo online will show how badly it went downhill. I've spoken to several of Allison's friends about this. And by all accounts, she was very upset about her unfair termination. She even asked a close friend if they could beat someone up for her. When I asked Allison's friend who it was, she only stated it was someone she worked with. This all brings us back to the timeline. Let's say... Oh, I don't know, April 5th? Now, if you had to guess which character the stalking violence injunction was for, who would it be? If you guessed Laura, you would be right. March 23rd, 2016, Allison filed the stalking violence injunction that would be denied on April the 5th, just days before she vanished. Some say Allison was hell-bent on getting out of town because she was terrified of Don and his good old boy connections. And apparently, she felt so threatened by Laura and Don, she sought legal protection, only to have it denied. These people have big ties, big money. I would have been terrified, too. And <laughs> I mean, I still am. I thought long and hard before this episode. That's why names are changed. And it's also why I won't be saying any more about connections or politics or who may be on whose payroll. Oh, yeah. And one more thing. Apparently, Laura and the summit came up on the radar of the Bay County Sheriff's Office. She was one of the first, and I mean one of the very first people interviewed about Allison's disappearance. She told them that Allison said to her, quote, If anything ever happens to me, Billy did it and he's put me in the sand dunes. I understand that this is a complete departure from everyone's notion that Billy had anything to do with Allison's demise. But what if he was framed? With all that power and money, corruption, it would be easy to do. Perhaps Allison knew of a more intimate relationship between Don and Laura. Maybe the numbers just weren't adding up. Did she know too much? Well, we may never know.
Thank you all so much for listening and following Allison's story. Make sure to tell a friend and follow or subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. Mistaken for Missing is a weekly podcast available every Wednesday evening. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram or visit mistakenformissing.com for the latest episodes and information regarding the case. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Kelly Allison Whitten, please contact the Bay County Sheriff's Office at 850-747-4700. Until next week, stay safe. I'm Allison Whitten, and this is Mistaken for Missing.